Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness, and we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. Hi, y'all. This is Reverend Anna Galladay, and we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for us to get our hands dirty. We're ready. Are you? Hey, Pastor. Well, hey there, Dr. Robin. How are you? Oh, my God. It, I can't believe this week has flown and we're that much closer to the election. And so yeah. much has happened this week. So much has happened. We're really close. You know, I mean, I remember going to bed at 3 a.m. Uh, four years ago, almost to the day, and waking up saying to myself, oh, good God, we've got four years of this. We have got to, like, I hope these four years go by fast. I hope that this is over soon. And for the last four years, I thought it couldn't come soon enough. And now all of a sudden, the week is speeding by and we are looking at an election in a matter of days. Yeah. It's, It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, but how much destruction and um, harm and trauma has been caused in these four years. It's just so heartbreaking to mm-hmm. think about everything that's happened and everything we've been through. And honestly, if someone were to have written, like had the premonition to write a dystopian novel about the last four years, I don't even think they could have come up with all the things that happened to the U.S. and the rest yeah. of the world under yeah. Trump's presidency. I just, I, I'm, I am hoping beyond hope that election day offers us at least a glimpse into the possibility of a change in that office. Um, I'm feeling really nervous. Mm-hmm. I don't believe the polls for a second. There's nothing about the polls that I believe. <laughs> and because of that, I am nowhere near as optimistic as some of these pundits are that um, Biden, you know, might pull this out. Um, And so I feel very much like I did four years ago in, you know, a space of radical uncertainty and fear and anxiety. And I'm, I know that we cannot do this another four years. Yeah. We barely made it through the first four and I'm, Yeah, I'm worried. Well, one of the things that I have been thinking about um, is how much, I mean, you talk about the harm and the trauma that is there, but how much has been undone of our judicial process um, in these four years? And, And, you know, I just think about Mitch McConnell is like the seven headed Hydra that if, you know, even if Amy McGrath wins, we've still got other people doing harm. And, and I worry about that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I I mean, I am I am disappointed in Mitch McConnell only because I really did feel like I, I felt that there was more humanity in him mm-hmm. than than we've seen since um, Trump's presidency. But it just goes to show that that, you know, people can pretend as if they're humane when they are um, when they are uh, on the opposing side, meaning he can pretend like he's humane when Barack Obama is president. Um, but as soon as he gets the power that he needs to in, or- in order to be able to run things the way he wants to, right. when Trump becomes president, he becomes this like you said, this monster. Yeah. And and I'm just, I, I'm disappointed in him. I'm disappointed in Lindsey Graham. I should not be. They are just old, straight white men who have done nothing but disappoint me for the last 40 some years of my life. But I really, I really just thought that they had more humanity than they've shown. And I'm. Well, uh, it's interesting because, you know, just to appeal to scripture for a minute, because. Come on. There's. There's a lot of wisdom there that Jesus talks about feeding the poor and hungry. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about that, we get called socialists. And so why is it when Jesus says it, it's called Christianity? It's called the thing that we should be doing. But when individuals in society want to make sure that there is enough for everyone we get labeled as socialist. That's not what socialism is. Right. Well, and I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's a matter of to whom things are deserved. Um, I think we, we are, it, it, it is no secret. And, and look, I, I was, you and I chatted earlier this week. Um, Jared Kushner made an absolute ass of himself yeah. um, on a Fox news interview um, earlier this week, but really disclosed exactly what it is that that we are up against when it comes to the their perception of people that don't deserve as much as others. Right. And, you know, and we've got we have people like Kushner, we have people like McConnell and Graham, we have people like Stephen Miller who who really do believe that they are doing everything they can for the quote least of these. Right. They think that they have changed the lives of all of these people. And it's I mean it's stunning. I talked to my cousin last night who has been watching Vice. Oh yeah. And now my my cousin who lives in Texas is um you know probably more conservative than I am. Um, to use that binary language, mm-hmm. but he's been watching Vice and he's been um, really appreciating how Vice has been covering both sides of the issue in a in a non politicized, non extremist way. And so we had this really great conversation, you know, where where my cousin said, "I wish that um, I wish that we had other candidates to vote for." Well, I wish that too. Well, 
I wish that too, but I mean, we are so far from a three-party system right. that that it's not even funny. And every single year we complain yeah. that we don't have the options that we want. Um, and it's because we are stuck in the, this binary of red versus blue, of A versus B. And, and honestly, I think until we get rid of the Electoral College and allow the winner, you know, to the winner by the physical number of votes period to gain the presidency, there's no way we can move into a three-party system that right. has any success at all. Right. Um, and even then you, you get into a situation like we possibly will have in Georgia again, where you have, you know, every candidate getting, you know, one candidate gets 35% of the vote and the other two candidates get 32% of the vote each and you've got a runoff situation right? because nobody has a, a quote majority. Um, and, and so there, there's a lot of things that have to be worked out with our electoral process. There's a lot of things that have to be worked out with um, just how we understand democracy working for the good of all people, not just the good for the good of the rich and the good of mm -hmm. the white and the good of the male. Um, but honestly, those things even if we tried to fix those things today, we are still a country that is built on the backs of slaves, mm -hmm. that is undergirded by white supremacy. And any fixes we made to the system would still be undergirded yeah. by those things, would yeah. still foundationally be marked by the sins of this nation right. from 400 years ago. It, right. It's just, it, it is what it is. And so, if we're going to reimagine our electoral process, we also have to be willing to reimagine our humanity alongside one another and, and the value we place on on one another um, and, you know, move into a stage of reparations and all of the things that come with that. Yeah, it, it seems to me that the system that was set in place and the subsequent 400 years of slavery – that our process, our electoral process, has not grown or evolved with the way our culture has evolved. Right. And because of that, we remain sort of stunted in an antiquated system that keeps the dominant in place in 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 ways that are really harmful for the majority and we've got to figure out how to how to shift some of those antiquated systems without destroying democracy the infrastructure you know the infrastructure has not evolved but also we don't want to destroy the infrastructure entirely because then i'm afraid it will all collapse right but we've got to do something. Right. We have had states, we've had cities, large cities, try to do that. They have they have attempted to uh, re-footprint their districts. They have attempted to, you know, re-just dig up and replant the playing field so that there is a semblance of normalcy. Mm -hmm. But as soon as the, as soon as power overtakes that, 
Um, you know, these gerrymandering happens, redistricting happens, and all of a sudden, the work that these that these places have put into leveling things out is gone right. simply because one side, i.e. the Republicans, recognize that they cannot win if there is a balance of power and a balance of fairness for people of color within the within the place mm-hmm. that they live. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, even even when even when cities have tried to reimagine this and have tried to do that work, people are I mean politicians come in and say, "Oh, well, you know, that was nice and that worked for 4 years because it worked for you, but it doesn't work for us anymore and now we're going to change this around a little so that we're sure to win." Um and and you've got districts that don't make sense. And you've got um, areas of town that are, you know, horribly um, that have, you know, no polling locations. And um, you've got polling locations that are not on, you know, city bus lines and and train lines and, and all of those things then just creep back into the ether. um, Because power is an evil, evil, overwhelming thing. I mean, I think the one thing that we have really seen in this election is voter suppression at, at its height. You know, Harris County in Houston, to have one um to have one polling place for the entire county. For the entire county. I mean, Houston is the second largest city in the US. It's got a huge immigrant population. And as a native Texan, I watch Texas very closely and I've watched it sort of become purple over the years. But let me tell you that, that to the vote the to the extent that that Republicans are peddling voter suppression is um, is really scary. Yeah, and 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 no one is stopping them. Right. No one is stopping them. I mean, I, you guys, I, I hope listeners that are are. are just starting to find this podcast, um, go back and listen to the amazing episode that we recorded with Brittany Cunningham. Um, her Twitter feed really does um, highlight for many of you what is happening from a voter suppression standpoint at places all over the country. And so, um, you know, listen to that episode that we did with her, but also follow people like Brittany because voter suppression isn't going to stop right. just in case Biden wins. Like, it, it, in fact, it will probably become even more important to Republicans because Biden wins mm-hmm. and they will do everything they can to make sure that in two years, when there's another congressional um, race, that they can take that they can make sure that they solidify the House or the Senate in, in their favor. Um. Let's share with folks what we're doing on election night. Yes, that's a great idea. So we are hosting two virtual Zoom gatherings um, at the same time. Uh, One, because I think we all recognize that we want to be with people that are kind of experiencing the same kind of anxiety and, and, um, 
you know, nervousness and uh, anxiousness that that we are, but also because we want to create a space where we can just really be honest with one another and say what's on our mind and 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 you know listen to the the voices of other people that are in this work with us. And so, on election night, from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern time, so eight to 10 Central. You do the math for wherever you are in the world. We are going to host two virtual Zoom calls, one that is uh, hosted by myself and Dr. Robin and our comrade uh, Jeff Kochi, who we've also uh, interviewed here on the podcast. And that's going to be just a pop in, bring your favorite beverage, watch the returns with us, complain about whatever we see, celebrate whatever we see, just yeah. really just a gathering, a get together. Um, but then really, really, because every four years, we we would be gathering with friends and family, right, right. To, to watch the election, because it right. is like this American thing. And, and right. we really thought, why not do that with folks who listen to us? And let let's really, um, let's really build community through this election process. And, you know, normally I would make empanadas and I would make a big meal for folks and we would we would just have a grand old time and we would watch the election returns and we would celebrate and whatnot. But, you know, this year it's a little different because we don't know what's going to happen and we're sitting in a lot of uncertainty. And right. and so, you know, I really wanted to hold space, um, which means for some of us, it you know, it's turning our sacred time that we would spend with family into more community time. And um, I'm really excited to, to do that and to utilize the chat function on Zoom and really yes. talk with each other um, on chat, but just be present. And and people seem to be wanting to, to do that. And I'm super excited to see who comes. Yeah. I mean, even if we aren't in conversation the whole time, even with, if, even if we're all kind of glued to our own, uh, televisions or yeah. laptops watching the results come in just to be with one another and alongside one another virtually to, to do this together and to be in this together is really important. Which is, which is really what we try to focus on at the Activist Theology Project is developing this deep togetherness or a politics of incojunto because what supremacy culture would have us believe is that we're all separated. Right. And they were all individuals. But really, when we come together, not just as an individual body, but as a cultural body and build in that togetherness, we can begin to shift culture. And so we're using this as an opportunity to foster togetherness. Yes. We also recognize that some of you might find yourself on election night in a space that feels very tender Um feels very vulnerable. Um, I mentioned that we were going to have two Zoom calls at the same time. Um, Our curator of embodiment practice and somatics, Erin Law, is going to host a second Zoom room that will be an embodiment, a a space where um, Erin will be guiding you through embodiment practice, um, like grounding practices, grounding practice. You'll be listening to what your body's telling you about what you're feeling in the moment. 
Um, you'll, I mean, Aaron, Aaron is a master at this and we're really, really glad that they are going to, um, host a, a separate space for us. Um, knowing that there are needs that aren't just let's get together and build community, but also yeah. like I'm feeling this in my bones and in my muscles and in my being. And I don't know what to do with the energy that's bouncing around within with under my skin. Um, and so Aaron is going to host that zoom room. Uh, Robin and Jeff and I will host the other zoom room. Um, we'll have all of that information on our socials. Um, so if you, um, are interested in joining us, please make sure you check out the Activist Theology Project Facebook page or Twitter feed or Instagram page for us to um, fill you in on what those Zoom links are. Um, I am I I envision people possibly popping back and forth between the two. Yeah, you, Robin. Like yeah. I think that there may be a point where um, I even say, "Oh crap." This is what just happened in Pennsylvania. I'm going to go over and talk to Aaron for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but we're really excited. We're really thrilled that you guys would join us on that. And um, we hope that we hope that you'll take some time to pop in, even if you don't stay for the two hours, um, even just to pop in and say hello and, and, and greet us and, and cheer toast with us and whatever. Um, we're really excited. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we mentioned that this um, week has been really, uh, has been just kind of fraught with uh, stuff. Um, and and we briefly mentioned that um, Jared Kushner, you know, made an absolute ass of himself on a Fox News interview earlier this week. Um, you know, I, I was listening to someone, um, a pundit the, the morning after, <laughs> And they said, you know, this is probably why they don't let him talk. Right. <laughs> because he really is an embodiment of privilege, an embodiment of um, what happens when you are gifted everything you've ever wanted, um, when your, you know, father pays for you to get into Harvard because you don't mm -hmm. have the grades when you have more money than anyone in your family will ever know what to do with. Um, and then you have the audacity to go on television and speak about black Americans in the way that he did. Um, I, I was disgusted. I was, um, I mean, I was so mad. I was shaking, um, when I, when I heard what he said and I, uh, just the fact that he would say that um, those of us that were protesting anti-police brutality and discrimination after the death of George Floyd were virtue sig signaling. Yeah. Like had me bouncing off my ceiling. Um, what do we do about humans like Jared Kushner? You know, I know that people want um, more, something more punitive than what I'm about to say, but I believe that we've got to move beyond the politics of the punitive. And what I mean by that is we've got to create cultural responses to harm that actually 
help to steward and process the trauma in a way so that our culture shift doesn't replicate the harm and trauma. And, you know, we, we in the social justice world, I think a lot of us embody the politics of the punitive. If, if somebody does something wrong, then we need to punish them. But is this not just replicating the same kind of harm that the oppressor is doing? Are, are we doing it in a similar way or similar fashion that right. creates more systemic harm? So what do we do with people like Jared Kushner? Well, you know, the... I mean, first we, first we got to just make him go away. Like we we gotta, do need to make him go away. Vote that family out of office. Yeah, we need to vote them out. But what we know about brain science, and I've been doing some reading on neuroplastic, neuroplasticity and 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 neuroscience, is that our behaviors are not just our behaviors. Our behaviors are deeply embedded in the plasticity of our brains. And this is why harm runs rampant in some circles is mm -hmm. because the ways that our brains have been um, wired, you know, it, it's not just about changing our thinking. We have to change our brains. Mm -hmm. And so what do we do with people like Jared Kushner is, is we steward, you know, a conversation with people like Jared Kushner and, you know, I think about people like Resma Menekin, who I hope that we can have on the podcast someday, who, who is, has been working with police, um, police officers in Minneapolis and lots of other people, but, you know, he's a, he's a social worker, therapist and trauma expert. And, Really, he is composting trauma in a really interesting way by helping us shift our brains, really. So it's – and this is why I talk about the activist theology project has to be more than a thinking project. Yes, we can have all the right talking points, but if we don't have the right behaviors – then we might be replicating the harm. And so we've got to we've got to combine our thinking with action. And that's what we need to do with people like Jared Kushner is steward a better thinking process with people like him and also steward behavior that isn't harm producing. Right. And it's I so I'm completely on board with you. I also recognize that uh, alongside me, there might be others who are listening that say, yes, but, or yes, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, harm and trauma produce in people um, responses that make it very difficult to um, transform thinking and transform um, action. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, and I think that the biggest challenge that I have is that in this re-patterning um, of our brains and in this understanding that community and connection are at the forefront, um, we still have to mitigate continued trauma 
for ourselves and for others. And, and I, and, and there's, it's that gap for me. It's that gap between where we are now and where we believe the possibility of this future is and knowing that the in-between will still continue to cause radical Mm -hmm. amounts of harm and trauma for those who are attempting to repattern. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a, um, that's a, that's a pastoral care thing for me. Like that's, that, that's where it touches me in my, in my bones. Um, It's a, it, it speaks to, I think all of our understanding of the empathy that we, that we have for one another and those that are in the midst of, of trauma and, and hurt. Um, I'm with you. I, I, I'm a hundred percent with you. I'm also, I really worry about those that continue to, be beat on and 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 put upon and triggered and harmed, um, and and how long it will take us yeah. to reimagine this in order for for people to just stop being treated that way. Well, and I think I think um, some of the work is not all of our work, right? Um, right. I I am not a facilitator. But someone like Aaron is a facilitator who can c- create a container and hold space and whatnot. And so, like, what I see as my work is connecting the dots to these things and writing about it and speaking about it. Um, some of your work is showing up to protests. And, right. and you know, so yeah. they're, they're, we all have to find our work in 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 this world and that – some of what I talk about is not even my work to do. Mm-hmm. It's other people's work, but I must be a steward of the work in, in naming it that the reason why we have oppression is because we have unprocessed trauma and we keep harming people. Right. And the, the more we get clear on where we are in the world, who our ancestors are, what our lineage is, what we need to steward, the better able we're able to know what our work is, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's a looking backward and a forward and being present with what is. And, you know, I know that, like, I just was getting my haircut yesterday and Taylor said, do you consider yourself an artist? And I'm like, well, I, I mean, in the sense that I write, you know, I, I think of myself as a creative um, and I know that that's my lane. And so, so I think a lot of this is knowing what lane we need to be in and stewarding that lane with our community, with whoever else is in that lane with us and making sure that we are stewarding the right kind of work to reduce the harm. Yeah. I'm with you. I know I'm going to sit with that for a little while. Um, I, I mean, we all know that um, this, you know, the harm is going to continue. Oh yeah. It's, it's not, it's not going to stop. And it's, it's not going to stop at the election. Whoever wins, no. it's going to continue. If Biden wins, we're going to have to protest Biden because we know that his policies are not going to be, at what they need to be for, right. for all of us. Right. Um, and, and regardless of it, if Biden wins, we will have a six to three Supreme court. Right. We have a six, 
three Supreme Court right now who has the capacity to shift policy and law in ways that we haven't seen in several generations. Yeah. Um, and it scares the living shit out of me. Really since the 60s, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we've got our work cut out for us, which is why I think we have this podcast to have the conversation, to, to name the things that need to be named, right. to connect the dots so that people can see that it's not just showing up at the, at the voting place. It's also what is being legislated against us from a Supreme Court standpoint and from a judicial standpoint. You know, the yeah. courts are now packed very conservatively. Yeah. Yeah. And we are not, we're not going to see the ends of that for, for many, many, many years. Right. Um, you know, we could very easily see a Democrat in the white house, a democratic Senate, a democratic house. And yet the overturning during the, uh, during those, um, that, that sweeping blue wave in our, in our um, congressional body and, and, and in our, in our executive branch. And we could still see the overturning of Roe v. Wade. We could see the um, removal of rights for same sex and other sex couples to legally be married. Mm -hmm. Um, We could see, uh, I mean, we could see uh, a change in, Brown versus the Board of Education, simply based on some of the rhetoric that Amy Coney Barrett has right. been has has talked about. I mean, if a court if a case comes before them that has to do with public education, it is highly probable that we could find ourselves back in the 1950s. Um, well, I heard with some of our policy. I heard that Amy Coney Barrett said that if a state supports segregated education that she would also support that. Yes. And I'm like, (laughs) that is crazy. It's dumbfounding. Um, But it just speaks to the, the push and pull of this system, right? We can have all of these things happen for us from a, from a legislative or from a a congressional and and an executive standpoint, but we, I mean, we could watch our Supreme court, thwart and 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 set us back decades all at the same time all like all at the same time and it just it's mind-blowing and it's frustrating and um yes elections have consequences but um integrity and empathy are hallmarks for people that serve in public office and we do not have people serving in public office now with empathy um, at all. Mm-hmm. We just we just simply don't. And um, consequences be damned. Um, there are people who are making these decisions who are simply without um, a, a pulse of care. Mm. Um, all they see is is the power in front of them, right? And the re- and their need for the results of their power to be what either they or their donors have asked of them or their lobbyists have asked of them. Um, and, and we're seeing the fruits of those labors. Yeah. Yes, we are. Which is why the work continues. It does. 
which is why we do this podcast, which is why we do the work that we do. Um, and, and we need, we need y'all to be listening and we need y'all to be getting your hands dirty and asking questions. Mm -hmm. That's the most powerful thing that I think people could be doing right now is asking questions and staying curious about the process instead of turning a blind eye to the process. Right. Right. I mean, we're, we're grateful for you all. We're grateful that you continue to listen to us. Um, sometimes Robin and I just feel like we come on here and it's just a bitch session, but yeah. you all affirm that sometimes you need to hear other people saying the same things that you're feeling in your own, in your own bones. Um, you know, I also want to remind you that, you know, it's no secret that organizations like ours um, rely on people like you in order for us to do this work in the world. And um Every month we look at our budget and determine how to best use our income to incubate sustainable change by responding to the needs of the world. Um, we would love for you to help us with that. Uh, you can support this podcast. You can support Activist Theology Project as, um, as an organization. Um, we are a 501c3. And so your donations are tax deductible if you donate to the Activist Theology Project. Um, we're just, we're really grateful that you're in this work with us. We're grateful that you listen. Um, we know that we have a lot to do and, um, you know, when we come to you next, uh, we will at least have some understanding of what the election night has produced. Um, yeah. we may know for certain that, um, Trump has won re-election we may know for certain that Biden has will replace him in January. We also may know for certain that the votes are too close to call and we are in for a multi-month fight over who and how votes are counted. Which, um, which will be up to the courts, right? Right. I mean, I think I think when we come to you next week, we will know one of those three things. Mm -hmm. um, and... Um, you know, I, like I, I, that's the work. The work yeah. is to talk about it. The work is to see our way through it. Yeah. Um, but more than that, the work is for us all to figure out what we are going to do in these days. Yeah. Um, and please, y'all, if you have not voted yet, get your butts to the polls. Yeah. Um, go on Tuesday, protect yourselves. Um, don't become exposed um, by being reckless, but please, um, Make make use of make use of the rights that you've been given. Yes. Um, and and please, please go and vote. Well, until next time, huh? Until next time. We got to get free, y'all. Are you looking to connect the dots between what you think and how you live? Are you looking for a more robust way to be in solidarity with the movement? Are you looking to get your hands dirty with the work of social justice? Join Dr. Robin and Reverend Anna Galladay each week as they share, reflect, and analyze on pressing social concerns. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.kindful.com and click on podcast. And remember, activist and theology share a T. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by our friends Delta Ray.
Our sound editor and engineer is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. So early, they show me no-